Well, good morning, church. Life is good, isn't it? Amen. Amen. Right? Life is good, and we're living it. Right? This morning, the sun came up. It's a new day dawning. It's time to sing our song again. Right? I hear tell of this, uh, this thing called a cold front that's, um, that's, that's heading our way, and we might experience a season called fall, maybe. Right? But life is good. Right? We, have, um, we have our families, right? If you have kids, if you don't have kids, you probably got a dog. If you don't have a dog, you're one of those that have a cat. Life really may not be all that good, but you think it is. Right? Right? But life is good, right? and we're living it. Right? But is that always the case? No. Right? The same, we could, we could go to bed on a good day, sleep but wake up in the morning and it's and it's the same sun that comes up we still have the same opportunity to sing the same song again but we can get into that day and it not necessarily turn out the way the previous day did right something could happen we could get a phone call we could get a text message right we could encounter someone on the road right our boss might have a bad day therefore we have a bad day but nonetheless we have good days and we have bad days Right. And we all experience that. Right. Back in 1941, C.S. Lewis, um, he wrote a series of letters. And, um, and they were published in a newspaper in England. And these letters came to be, came to be called the Screwtape Letters. And um, when he wrote these letters, he wrote them not from a perspective of, of a Christian, right? But, but he writes them from Screwtape's perspective. And Screwtape is what he calls a devil. So Screwtape is writing these letters to his nephew, Wormwood, right, who just graduated the Tempter's Training College for Young Devils. And he's telling him in these letters on how to tempt and lead astray his patient or the person, us. And it's a very interesting way to write and to, to educate on how the enemy thinks and how we could be tempted. Uh, C.S. Lewis would even say that, that he was disturbed with how diabolical he could think to write from this perspective. But it's in that, in, in letter 8, Screwtape writes to his nephew Wormwood, and he speaks of something called the law of undulation. Right? So Wormwood, he, he sends word to Screwtape, and he's excited because his patient has experienced this low in his life. Right? He's having a series of bad days and he's excited about it but screw tape writes to wormwood and he's telling him don't be too excited about the low that your patient is in as if you're the one that got him there because he understands that we all have good days and we all have bad days and he equates it to this law of undulation and he says that we all go through humans naturally go through a series of troughs and peaks troughs and peaks and he says this to Wormwood, he says, now it may surprise you to learn that in God, in his or God's efforts to get permanent possession of a soul, he relies on the troughs even more than on the peaks. Some of his special favorites have gone through longer and deeper troughs than anyone else. So he's understanding, he's communicating to his nephew here that, hey, there are people that God favorites that go through long periods. And if you know your Bible, if you know the Old Testament, there are many examples of Old Testament saints, Old Testament people who go through long periods of dryness and struggle. Right? Jacob, Joseph, Moses, 
Job, even King David himself is no stranger to struggle. And King David, being no stranger to struggle, he writes this psalm to which most everyone knows. Even the unbeliever knows and would read this, quote this. They would probably find some comfort in this psalm. So over the last several weeks, we've read this entire psalm and we'll continue that this morning. So if you have your Bible, Psalm 23 In verse 1, we'll read through this. He says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table Before me, in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Now see, when we read this, we can begin to see this undulation start to take place. If we concentrate on verses uh, one through four, we can really see that, right? He begins the psalm with surely, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. But then he says, he leads me beside still waters, right? He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. This is a peak, right? David's experiencing the goodness of the Lord. If we can... If we're in green pastures, if you were with us the first, first few weeks when we talked through what that looks like to be in green pastures and have all of our provision provided for us, right? We're at the peak and we're having good days. But then he changes, right? John, pa- John Piper uh, notes the pronoun difference in those verses, right? Verses 2 and 3, David says that he makes me lie down. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. But what happens in verse 4? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. See the pronoun change? And he notes and highlights that that when we're experiencing good days and good things, we'll talk about the Lord. But when we hit that low and we're in the valley and struggle begins to happen, we talk to the Lord. And that's David, just, he's realizing that, 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 hey, I have good days and I'm going to talk about God. I'm going to be excited about God. I'm going to share people with people what God has been doing in my life. But when I'm in the low, when I'm in the trough, we talk to God. Because right? David knows he's the one that would lead us through it. So in verse 4, where we're going to concentrate this morning, he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So what is the valley? So what is a valley? A valley is a geographical depression, right? That's between you know hills or mountains, right? And in some ways, can be very perilous, right? Depending on you know how steep um, the the sides of the valley are, right? It's typically very long, more more long than it is wide, right? Depending on the terrain of the valley, could determine how dangerous it might be. But then the predators lurk within valleys because their prey is not able to easily escape from them. So even aware of the dangers, David says, even though I walk through. Even though I walk through. He doesn't say even though I run through, even though I realize where I'm at and it's a valley. 
and there's dangers present. I'm not running through it. I'm not in a panic. I'm not being scattered. He says, I walk through it. He says, I don't walk into it, stop, turn around and look, and, you know, I can't see the interest anymore, and I can't see where I'm going. He just says, I walk through it. It's, it's a movement. He's, 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 he's continuing to go through. He goes down in the valley, but on the other side is a way out, and he just walks through it. But he says, even though he is calmly saying, even though I walk through. But how is it that he can calmly say this? I believe because he knows how he got there. Now, you may, in this present time, be in a valley. You may be in a trough in your life where you're spiritually dry or you're just struggling. But the question that we need to ask when we find ourselves in those situations is, how did we get here? And sometimes that question, the answer to that question, if we're not careful, we will start looking at ourselves. And we do oftentimes need to look inwardly at our behavior and the things that we've done to brought us to the place we're at. But in this context, if the Lord is your shepherd, and if he's leading you, if he makes you to lie down in green pastures, if he's leading you beside still waters, if he's leading you in paths of righteousness or literally right paths, wouldn't it stand to reason that if he is your shepherd and he's leading you, that he is the one that led you to this valley? And see, David recognizes even though I walk through this valley, I know how I got here. I got here because my shepherd led me here. And then he says, I will fear no evil for you are with me. So he understands, right, that the Lord is with him. So surely this valley is one of those right paths to which I must go. And he is the one leading. But now this isn't a wide, lush, fertile, nice valley. Is it right? I imagine, you know, the, you know, the scene or the picture that, you, you know, the wallpaper you have on your computer of just the nice valley. It's got a couple lakes in it and grass and all that. That's not the valley he's talking about, is it? What is the valley he's talking about? It says the valley of the shadow of death. Now, that doesn't sound like a very nice valley to be in. We may not understand fully what that means, but when we start talking about a shadow of death, I'm like, I don't really like that. I don't understand that to be some kind of struggle. But it's deep darkness, right? This, this word for shadow of death in the, in, the, in the Hebrew is literally shadow of death. It's deep darkness. It's the dark night of the soul. It's despair. But he knows where he's at and he's leading. He's being led through it. But the question is, why? Why do you think that is? If the Lord is leading, why would he lead us to this place? Why am I experiencing all that I'm experiencing. Why is this hard? Why am I suffering? If you remember from week one, the good shepherd, a good shepherd doesn't leave his sheep in one pasture, right? In green pastures, they lie down there. But sheep are stupid, they're dumb, and they're going to consume. Remember, every provision, every resource, if left alone and in that pasture, they are going to consume it. And they're not going to grow beyond it. They will end up dying in that pasture because they'll consume everything. But a good, good shepherd leads from one pasture to another and to another so that the ground can be replenished and the resources can be replenished and been brought back to that. So the picture is this. If, 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 the, Lord is in your, if the shepherd is going to lead his sheep from this pasture to the next, what if between this pasture and the next is a valley to which they must go through? So he leads them there. So when we're in that valley... Shadow of death or not, but we're struggling. And this is difficult. This is hard. Why am I here? Well, you're here to get to over there. Because you can't go back to where 
you were at. So the Lord knows where you need to be, so He's leading you to it, and this, this is the path to it. This is the right path to which it takes to get there. So He's leading you in that. Screwtape tells Wormwood, he says, It is during such trough periods, much more during the peak periods, that it is growing, it, the person, is growing into the sort of creature he wants it to be. When we're in the valley, what do the sheep have to do? If there's, tre- if there's predators about, if the train is loose and they don't know exactly where to go, and it's a shadow and it's darkness and they can't really see, they have to trust their shepherd. James 1 says this, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James says faith produces steadfastness. It's perseverance. It's patient enduring. It's learning to trust the Lord. So that coming through this valley, you've learned to trust, you get to green pastures and you settle, you begin talking about God and His goodness again, but the preparation from this valley likely could be preparing you for the valley that is to come that may be longer. But we don't want to think about, could it be worse than this? But we ask ourselves that question, nothing could be worse than this. I think it possibly can. But how do we prepare what may be worse if we fear the worst? It's to trust the one that's leading us through it. And that is the next point that we can glean here. Then David says, I will fear no evil for you are with me. The first part of this, whenever we're having good days, when you're in green pastures and you're resting beside still waters and you're you're being restored, he says he leads. Where do leaders lead from? They're ahead. And you follow leaders. But when you're in the valley, what does he say? He says, I will fear no evil for you are with me. So the leader, the shepherd, is no longer leading ahead. He is now alongside and he is escorting through that. Because the Lord knows the dangers of the valley. He knows the struggle. He knows the difficulty. So he steps back. His presence moves from being ahead to being alongside you. Along with you so that you can see him there more clearly. And then his rod, he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. His rod would have been probably an oak club, probably about two foot long. It's what he would use to count the sheep with. Right? He, would, he would use that to fend off wild animals and protect the sheep. But he would guide them with that. So the same object that would count them. So that you would know and I would know I've been counted. I'm included. He knows I'm in the herd. He knows where I'm at. That same object that would touch me and count me is the same thing that I see protecting me from what could harm me in this valley. Then he says, your staff, the staff would have been his crook. It would have had a, probably a bend on the end. The shepherd would use this to, to, to um, bring the sheep along. If a sheep fell down into a hole or into a crevice, he would take this with the, with the bend on it and would pull them back up out of a hole. And he says, I see these things and they comfort me. But the rod and the staff here, they are objects of comfort. And this is important for me personally is that these things are objects of comfort. I think of, um, um, like if you're at a funeral, you experience a loss of a loved one. You know, when people come up to you in funerals, you know, and they give you a hug, and they give an encouraging word, right? And they are comforting you, right? 
But just because they're comforting you, does that mean you are comforted? Where does the responsibility lie in being comforted? Because they're just objects of comfort. But David, he makes the statement, they comfort me. And I think of the third cousin twice removed on your mom's side that's really awkward and you really don't like anyways. And all of a sudden he's hugging you. Hey, man, it's going to be all right. And you're like, I'm not really comforted. (laughs) But it's it's up to us. We have to look at that. Know that he is with us. Look at what he has in his hands. Trust those things and be comforted by them is what David says. But now I want to set the metaphor aside for a moment. If I can. He says the valley of the shadow of death. This is the valley of the shadow of death. He doesn't say, though I'll walk through the valley of death. Implying that death is going to happen. He's going to die in that valley. He said it is the shadow of death. Can a shadow harm you? Can we be fearful in the shadow of something? No, but a shadow just implies the presence of something that's there. But the shadow doesn't hurt you. If you're walking down the sidewalk, right, and a truck passes by and the shadow passes over you, does the shadow knock you down? No. But if the truck is on the sidewalk, right, but the shadow doesn't hurt you. So to set the metaphor aside for a moment, think through this, right? Who is the shepherd? The shepherd is Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God. God sent His Son to earth to die on the cross for the sin of the world, right? The debt that we cannot pay. So Jesus came, the Lord came, the good shepherd came. He hangs on a cross, exposed before creation, Literally in this point, in the shadow of death, and then he allows this shadow of death to touch him so that it will not touch us. And in that moment of despair, in the shadow of death, in his humanity, even Jesus cries out, God, why have you forsaken me? He knows what it feels like to be in the valley and feel disconnected. And he cries out, why have you forsaken me? But then he still allows death to touch him. So what we experience now is merely a shadow of it. Praise the Lord. That even though we walk through the shadow, it cannot touch us. Evil cannot harm us. I will fear no evil. He calls it what it is. He says, I will fear no evil. John, 1 John 5.18 Evil cannot touch you if the Lord is your shepherd and He is leading you and you're following Him. That is the encouragement. So, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? It is not there for the believer. It is defeated. The king is alive, therefore raise a hallelujah. And the king is our good shepherd. He's not merely a guide. Guides turn back. Think of every adventure movie you've ever seen. Indiana Jones, he gets a guide. He's walking to the temple of doom and he gets there. And what does the guide do? I'm not going there. The guide recognizes something about where he's going, and it's not going to be really good for you, Indy. And I'm out, right? So guides turn back, but shepherds, leaders lead through it, regardless of the trial, regardless of the dangers present, because he knows the dangers are present, and he knows that it's going to grow you to trust me. And remember verse 3, he leads me in the right paths for his name's sake. 
so that when we're in it and we trust him, we may point to him. That he may be glorified and others may see what it is to walk through and trust the Lord. So to wrap up, I want to talk, I want to talk practically for a minute, if I can, just on the dangers, the greater dangers present in forgetting who's with us, forgetting that he is with us, right? One, one fear begins to set in. When we're in the valley, if we're forgetting, when we're in deep darkness, the dark night of our soul, right? And we can't see him around us. We can't necessarily feel him. You know, fear begins to set in. But when we give fear an end, we begin to can do foolish things. You know, several years ago, I did a message where I confessed that I have a clinical fear of the dark. But not, not the dark, but what is in the dark that I can't see. But sometimes that irrational fear brings about irrational behavior. We do foolish things when we're fearful. Then fear leads to panic. And when panic sets in, we begin to do more foolish things because we're trying frantically to get out of here. And we move about, we can trip on something, fall down on something. Then panic leads to despair. Despair leads to desperation. And whenever desperation sets into our hearts, we start listening to the opinions of others. We start listening to worldly advice that should be silenced, ignored, or rebuked. And we listen to the world and we respond as the world does because of the second thing. We fall into this idea of self-preservation. We're so far into this valley, we don't see how we got into it anymore. We don't see a way out of it. We just see the darkness around us. We feel alone. We feel forsaken. And then all of a sudden, we have this thought, and the enemy reminds us here. He's like, you know what? You can, you can do this. You can get out of here. And then we start to do what's wise in our own eyes. And Scripture would warn of that. Proverbs 3, 7 says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Clearly states it. Do not, be not wise in your own eyes. And, and the proverb... He says this immediately following verses 5 and 6, which many of you in here can probably quote. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. And then he says directly after, but be not wise in your own eyes. Trust in the Lord. Proverbs 26, 12 says, Do you see a man that's wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. And then when we do this, when we have this self-preservation, we may take some strides, right? We may gain a little ground. I can see the enemy removing a few obstacles in front of us so that we can gain some ground. And our stride gets bigger and we pick up some speed. Right? But then we forget to check our footing. We lose our footing and then we fall down. Right? Pride comes before destruction. A haughty spirit before the fall, Proverbs 16, 18. And then where do we find ourselves? If you were with us last week, we find ourselves cast on our back with our feet in the air in a hole, in a crevice, and we can't move. We can no longer help ourselves. But praise the Lord for that moment if you find yourself in it. Because if you are His sheep and you're crying out for help, and that's what we do, we cry out. And the Good Shepherd, being who He is, takes his staff, walks straight to you because he certainly knows where you're at. He didn't have to find you. Sometimes we do that. Lord, 
find me. Come find me. The rescue's already been made. He knows where you're at. And he just comes with that staff and he just reaches down, grab a hold of it and pulls you out, puts you back on your feet, dusts you off, pats you on the butt. Continue on, learn to trust me. So let us trust in the valley. Remember, it's just a mere shadow of death. And though we have wondered and can't see him or feel him anymore, we still must trust him. And if we do that, then we will be comforted. We will have confidence in the valley. Not in ourselves, but in the shepherd who is alongside us, escorting us. The more we stay close to the shepherd, the more we respond, the more we know that he's there, the more we feel his presence. And we're comforted. So I'll leave you with this. Um, Screwtape once again says, My dear Wormwood, our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring but still intending to do our enemy's will, looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and still obeys. C.S. Lewis is, praise the Lord for giving him the wisdom that he had to write the way he did and give us this, that, that, that the enemy even would see this, and I believe it wholeheartedly, the enemy sees and knows that when, when someone is in the valley, that they need to work a little bit harder to twist someone up. And some people are easier than others, but when we're in the valley and we feel that we are distant, God is distant, and we can't touch him, we don't know he's there, we've been in this so long, God, I'm tired. But you know what? I'm still going to obey you. We pull every weapon out of the enemy's arsenal. And by our actions are letting the enemy know, you can't touch me. You're a shadow. You're defeated. And then some years later, Lewis wrote this. He said, the father can be well pleased. In that son only who adheres to the Father when apparently forsaken, the fullest grace can be received by those only who continue to obey during the dryness in which all grace seems to be withheld. Then quoting George MacDonald, he says, The highest condition of the human will, as distinct, not as separated from God, is when not seeing God, not seeming to itself to grasp Him at all, yet holds Him fast. My prayer for myself in moments of despair when I just don't know what to do. My prayer for this church. My prayer for God's people. Is that in the valley we may say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And that testimony speaks to a God that is greater and above all else. That's greater than my sin. It's greater than my fear. It's greater than anything that this world can throw at me. Because I know that there is a green pasture. There is rest that he is leading me to. And my soul has been restored. So maybe we'd be comforted, church, in times of despair. Lord, I thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for your word. I, um, 
Father, I thank you for sending a son. Jesus, I thank you for giving your spirit. Lord, that, um, that you may be our good shepherd, Lord, that we would know that. You would know, we would know your voice and we would follow, Lord. And that, that when we're in the valley, Lord, that we would look at that as an opportunity, Lord, to grow. That you're shaping us and molding us, Lord. And we don't look at the difficulty and the hazards. And Lord, that's tough. God, in our flesh, we feel it. But remind us, Lord, that you felt it. You took it so that it may not touch us anymore, Lord. And I just, I pray that, that we would know your goodness and be reminded that goodness and mercy will follow us the rest of our days, Lord. And that we will one day dwell in your house forever. And all that we experience here will be wiped clean and swept away, Lord, but we will be, will be made whole and enjoy the richness of being with you, Lord. And I just I pray, Lord, while we're here, Lord, that if this age that we are in be the valley of the shadow of death, Lord, remind us that death is defeated and glory is to come. Lord, we love you and we thank you, Lord, and it's in your name I pray. Amen.